Well, this morning, we're going to begin a brand new series entitled Financial Fitness. And uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking a little bit about money. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, Pastor Keith, with everything going on in the world right now, and for all the different things in the Scripture that we could talk about, why in the world are we going to spend a few weeks talking about money? And let me tell you why. Two reasons. Number one, money is the one thing that everybody on planet Earth thinks about every day. Everybody on planet Earth every day thinks about money. And you may say, well, Pastor Keith, I don't think about money every day. Well, you think about food every day. You think about your house and your shelter and your electric bill and gas in the car and how am I going to get to work? Because every single day, every person on planet Earth thinks about money or the things connected to money that we need to survive. So guess what? Money matters. And if you could honestly say your money doesn't matter, then give it to me. I'll take it from you. Come on, somebody. I'll help you out. Right? If it's a bother to you, let me just help you. I'd love to be a blessing. The second reason I want to talk about money for the next few weeks is because Jesus actually talked a lot about money. And if we don't come to a place where we begin to get a biblical understanding of finances, then we end up being influenced by a culture and by a world that has a total distorted understanding of what finances and wealth is all about. So let me give you some good news today. God wants to prosper you, but there's a purpose to his prosperity. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So Jesus talked about money. And not only did he talk about money, Jesus did something amazing. Jesus connected money to the condition of our heart. And all of a sudden, Jesus made this spiritual connection that the way we handle money reveals the true spiritual condition of our heart. And if I really want to do a heart check, I've got to do a money check. Can I get an amen? Amen. So we're going to see some things today from the truth of Scripture. So look at that first point this morning. So in order to be financially fit, we have to lose weight. That's called debt. We have to get in shape. That's called a budget. And we have to build muscle. That's called investing. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to give you some really practical tools on how we can do those things. Because I just want to be honest with you today. You know and I know that as long as you're living under financial stress, you're in a horrible place. The number one cause of divorce in America is financial stress. And we all know in this room that when you are financially under stress, you are not the person you need to be and you're not even the person you want to be. Because financial stress ends up eating away and robbing me and you of the life that God has called us to live. We began 2022 with our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And part of our focus was that we said this year we want to create margin and we want to live on mission. And one of the most important areas for you to have have margin is in the area of your finances. Financial margin is key to you living your life on mission for the glory of God. I'm just going to tell you something today. God has no pleasure in the financial weight that most people find themselves under. It grieves the heart of God that we are so financially unfit and we're living in stress and anxiety because we're operating outside of God's system of success. So look at the last part of that first statement. 
So in order to be financially fit, we have to lose weight, we have to get in shape, we have to build muscle. But first, we have to get a biblical understanding of money. And that's what we're going to do today. Look with me in Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus is speaking, and Jesus makes one of the most profound statements in Scripture about money, and we need to hear what Jesus is saying, because today we're going to recognize something. I want you to recognize the power of money. How many of you recognize money actually does have power? Right? The golden rule in the world is this. Whoever has the most gold gets to make the rules. Right? And let's just be honest, that's true. In the world system, in the culture that we live in, whoever has the most money gets to make the rules. But I want to tell you something. God has a greater rule. Come on, somebody. Because King Jesus reigns. But here's what I want you to understand today. I want you to understand that if we don't grab hold of what Jesus is telling us today about money, we're going to live with a distorted view, and we're going to miss the mark of what God has for us. So Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if I was preaching that sermon, I'd have preached it different. If I was preaching that sermon as Jesus was that day, I'd have said, no man can have two masters. You can, you're going to have to serve God. You can't serve God and you can't serve the devil. Or I'd have said, you can't serve God and you can't serve this world. Or I'd have said, you can't serve God and you can't serve your flesh. And all of those are true. But Jesus brings it home. How many of you know nothing really brings it home like money? Let's just be honest. Nothing really brings the message home like money. And Jesus brings the heart of the gospel to the heart of humanity. No man can serve God and money. So let's talk about the power of money today. Look at that first point on your outline or that next point. Money is powerful. I want you to hear this because it can steal our love and devotion and become the master of our lives. Jesus said you're going to love the one and hate the other. You're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is powerful because it can steal our love, our devotion, and become the master of our lives. And if we don't master money, guess what? Money will master us. And we live in a world right now that's been mastered by money. Our nation, I don't know how many trillions of dollars. I was talking with some of the guys this morning. How many trillions of dollars in debt our nation is. Because all of a sudden, we get mastered by money. I want you to look with me at a scripture in Ecclesiastes 10, verse 19. It says, A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. And the truth is, money does answer everything. Money has an answer for every problem and every challenge and every situation that pops up in our life. As a matter of fact, you've probably said this. And if you hadn't said it, you probably heard it. You ever heard somebody say, well, I need God to do a miracle, or I need to win the lottery. I need God to do a miracle, or I need to get a big check in the mail. Isn't it interesting that we need God or we need money? Isn't it interesting how money slips in and somehow money somehow begins to bring itself to a place of equality with God? Where we're either looking to God or we're looking to money to be our provider and our source and our 
master. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that money has an answer for everything. But I want you to hear the truth of the scripture today. Money has an answer for everything, but money is not the answer. <laughs> and our world has believed the lie, right? Our world has believed the lie that money is the answer. And if you don't believe me, just look at our culture. What happens when we have a problem? We throw money at it. Our government is in the debt that it's in today because every time there's a social problem, an economic problem, a physical problem, a financial problem, a racial problem, a tension problem, we just throw money at those things. And we got to put more money here, and we got to put more money here, and we got to put more money here. Why? Because money always has an answer, but money is not the answer. And the reason we know money is not the answer is because we've been putting trillions of dollars to bring remedy to the ails of our society, and they're not diminishing, they're getting worse. The remedy for racism is not more money, it's more Jesus. The remedy for social injustice is not more money, it's more Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And if we don't break out of the lie of the world and begin to recognize that the solution and the remedy for the condition of our hearts and our lives is not more money, it is more Jesus in our hearts and in our lives, then we're going to find ourselves being swept away in a culture where we just keep throwing money at things that never produces real change. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. If you want to be wealthy and you want to be rich, then be godly and be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain, King James says. New King James or NLT says it is great wealth. See, the moment that you become godly and content, guess what? Now the world can't buy you. Isn't it amazing how little we can be bought with? Isn't it amazing how a dollar raise will make somebody change their whole life? Oh, I can make more money. Yeah, but you're going to have less time with your family. But I can make more money. Yeah, but it's going to take you out of the ministry. But I can make more money. Yeah, but it's going to disconnect you from raising your kids. But I can make more money. Pretty amazing how little money it really does take to disconnect us from the things that really do matter. The things that we say we're really working for, but at the same time we're working to provide for our families, but we allow money to lead us away from our families. I'm not saying you shouldn't work. God says work, and I believe you ought to work hard. Come on, somebody. I like hard work. Don't eat if you don't work. That's a good word. That's the Bible. All right, verse 7. Look at this. And after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can, can take nothing, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it, right? There's never a U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take it with you. Naked you came from your mother's wound, and naked you will return. You're going to die with the same thing you were born with, nothing. That's pretty sobering. Verse 8. And if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich, I put in parentheses in my notes the word greed because God is not against riches. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. God wants you to be financially wealthy. God wants to take the wealth of the wicked, the Bible says, and transition it into the hands of the righteous. But the word here is not just about desiring riches. It's about being covetous and greedy. Look what he says. 
He says, people who long to be rich, people who are greedy for gain, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Let me tell you what greed, greed, greed is a crazy thing because greed is not measured by what you have. Greed is measured by what you want. And all of a sudden, you can recognize something. I've recognized that I've met some of the poorest people that are the greediest people on the planet. And I've met some of the richest people that are the most generous people I've ever met in my life. You can't measure greed. Sometimes if you're poor, you look at rich people and say, they're just greedy. All they think about is money. No, you probably think about money more than they do. That's probably why you don't have any. That was free. Praise the Lord. A little extra. Look what Paul says. Look what the Word of God says. He says, he says, those who long to be rich, those who are greedy, fall into temptation and trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Think about how many get-rich-quick schemes. I mean, I've been hooked a few times. And you're like, man, this sounds too good to be true. Because it is. Right? And how much money, how much time, how much energy has been spent trying to get rich quick because we're greedy for gain and we miss the mark that God has for us. Look at verse 10. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money, not money. Money is not good or evil. Money is neutral. Money makes good men better and bad men worse. But it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Look what it says. I love this statement because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes us right back to what Jesus said in Matthew, or in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Look what he says. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. Isn't it interesting that the love of money causes you to wander from your faith? It pulls you away from God. Because when you're greedy, money is your God. And all of a sudden, instead of being led by the Spirit, you're led by the almighty dollar. You're led by the lust for things and the lust of your eye instead of by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we live in a lust-driven culture, guys. And lust doesn't have to do anything with sexual immorality. It's the lust of the eye that causes us just to want more and more and more than we've ever had. And God's not against more unless he doesn't fit in the equation of your life. So let's look at the rest of the scripture. He says, verse 11, he says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these things. Run from greed. Run from covetous. Run from the lust of the eye. Run from the lust of the flesh. Run from these things and pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith and hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. In other words, he reiterates what he just said. Hey, Timothy, embrace godliness and contentment. Because that's where the great wealth is. Amen? So look at this next point. 
Money is powerful not just because it can steal our devotion away from God, but money is powerful because it reveals the true condition of our heart. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Money reveals our passion, but I want you to see something. We're going to talk about this. Money also creates passion in our hearts. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. We're going to back up and read just a few verses before what Jesus said a moment ago. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me give you a revelation today. The greatest measurement of your heart is your bank statement. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The greatest measurement of your heart is your money. And your bank statement reveals what you're passionate about. And it reveals what you love. See, a few years ago you could say your checkbook, but nobody has checkbooks anymore, at least if you're under 30 years old. But maybe you're still looking at your online app and you're realizing, hey, here's my, here's my banking statement. Here's my account. And I'm realizing, man, you know what? Wow. That's my heart. I was thinking about that and I, I just decided, well, Keith, why don't you look at your heart? So I looked at my bank statement and, and this is what I realized. I realized that Kelly and I, we love food. <laughs> I mean, we love food. We buy a lot of it. I mean, like, regularly. And then I got looking at our bank statement. I realized that not only do we love food, we love shelter. Every month I pay that mortgage payment. Every month I pay the electric bill. Every month I pay the water bill. Every month I pay the gas bill. Man, I love my shelter. I love my food. I love my warm house that keeps me safe and protected. And then I got looking at our bank statement. I realized, man, we love our family. It's called Amazon.com. I mean, like, how much more stuff could we buy for our family? I mean, for us and our kids and somebody say grandkids. I mean, all that good stuff. I mean, we love our family. And then I got looking at it and I realized, you know what? This is a little, probably maybe a little unique. But man, I, I, love, I love technology. I pay that internet bill every month. Right? I make sure my iPad, my iPhone, and my Apple Watch are all up to date and ready to roll. I like technology. I invest in it. I spend money on it. I, I, I realize this one hurt me. <laughs> it really hurt me. I realize I love entertainment. And I don't even like saying that. I feel like that's almost bad to say. But I, I, I love entertainment. How do I know I love entertainment? Because I have a Hulu subscription. I have a Netflix subscription. I have an Apple Music subscription. I have a YouTube subscription. How about you? I love entertainment. I didn't like that one. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with any of those things. As a matter of fact, God, God, God is a gracious father. He loves to bless his kids. How many parents in the house? We got any parents in the house? How many of you, how many of you actually love to bless your kids? How many of you actually want your kids to do better than you do? Right? That's just the heart of a good parent. God loves to bless us. He loves to prosper us. He wants us to have more than enough. God is not, there is no pleasure in the heart of God over your lack or over your need. 
He wants you to have enough food and more than enough, enough clothes and more than enough, enough stuff and more than enough. God wants you to go hunting and go fishing and go shopping and go on vacation and enjoy your life. But you can't stop there. Because if your bank statement says you love food, you love shelter, you love your family, you love technology, you love entertainment, but if your bank statement doesn't say you love God, then your life's out of order. If you're not a bad person, you're not an evil person, you're probably a pretty awesome person. If you're at Liberty Church, I know you're awesome. Right? And I really love you. But I have an obligation to tell you today that if your bank statement doesn't reveal your love for God through your consistent giving to the things of God, then your life's out of order. And I was thinking about that, and I thought about Kelly and I have been married 31 years, and, and we have consistently been tithers and givers for 31 years of marriage with about a six-month span in our time that we were inconsistent in that. Other than that, for 31 years, we've been faithful tithers and givers. And if you look at our bank statement, you know what our bank statement will tell you? Our bank statement will tell you we love Liberty Church. Because <laughs> every week, my, my tithe check comes out first before anything else comes out of my paycheck. Amen. And I don't love Liberty Church just because I'm a pastor. I love I, I loved tithing and giving to the local church before I became a pastor. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I love the local church. I love the local church because of all the organizations out there doing good things, the church is the only one doing the gospel thing. Because <laughs> how many of you understand that, that, you can, that you can feed the hungry and you can cure cancer and you can remedy childhood diseases, which are all good things I think we ought to support? But the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So if we feed the hungry, they're still going to die and go to hell. If we cure cancer, they're still going to die and go to hell. If we remedy childhood diseases and they grow old and live to be 80, 90, 100 years old, they're still going to die and go to hell unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And only the church is preaching the gospel. Only the church is saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to heaven except through him. So when you look at my bank statement, you find out, hey, Keith loves the gospel. He loves winning souls, making disciples, and destroying the works of the devil. You look at our bank statement, you find out we also love missions. Every month, we support one of those children in Africa that we see up on that screen every now and then. And then you'd recognize we also love feeding the hungry. We support our local, local food bank right here at Liberty Church. And every month, we sponsor two families. Every month, it's not a lot, but it's something that we do. And you can look at our bank statement consistently and you can say they love God, they love the church, they love missions, they love feeding hungry people. And I don't say that to brag on what we're doing because we're nothing without Christ. I say that to just challenge us to recognize something. That where my treasure is there, my heart will be also. Because it's really easy to be spiritual. And it's really easy to say I love God and I love the church. Well, how many of you love Liberty Church? Woo, we love Liberty Church. Thank you, Lord. Look at your bank statement. And then you can tell us, do you love Liberty Church? We love missions. Oh, yeah, let's spread the gospel. Let's take care of hurting, hungry people and share the good news with them. Look at your bank statement. Do you really love missions? I'm not talking about once a year. How many know you eat every month? Every day. Yeah, thank you, Curtis. appreciate that. 
He's helping me out. He's been with me a long time. I eat every day. So it's just a challenge to say, you know what? Jesus brought some revelation to us. He said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus said, I want you to check your heart. Because Jesus rebuked the people in his time. Do you remember what he said to the scribes and Pharisees? He said, these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And then in Matthew 6, 24, he tells us, how do I know where my heart is? I look at my money. And all of a sudden, my money reveals my heart. Now, let me, just, let me just encourage you something, because here's what's exciting. Not only does money reveal our heart, but money can create passion in our heart. Let me give you a natural illustration. Let's, let's just say, any, any, I'm, I'm a Ford guy. Any Ford guys in the house? Any, any Chevy folks in the house? Some of y'all got confused. Ford guys? Chevy guys? I think we're outnumbered. We got some Jeep folks in the house? Some Jeepers. I met some Jeepers this weekend. They had ducks in their window. Y'all know what that is? Anyway, so I'm just going to say four. So let's just say tomorrow morning, stock market opens, and you say, hey, I'm going to just invest $1,000 in Ford stock. The moment you buy stock in Ford Motor Company, at that moment, immediately, now you care about the success of Ford Motor Company. Now you care. The moment. Today you're like, man, I want them to do good. I like Ford. They're a really good company. But the moment I put my money in it, I don't just want them to do good. I care about them doing good. I'm checking it every day. How my stock do today? How we do this week? How do we do this month? What are we doing? Man, I'm watching the news. I'm reading the articles. I'm praying for those crazy people up there making decisions at Ford. Lord, give them wisdom. My money's there. See, money not only reveals your heart, it actually creates passion in your heart. Because what you invest in, you care about. I heard a missionary years ago, he told this story, true story. He said he was at a church sharing about missions and a trip he had just got back from. And he said a guy came up to him after church and the gentleman said this. He said, sir, he said, man, I love, I love your passion for missions. I love what you're doing. I applaud. I think it's great. I'm going to be praying for you. He said, but just to be honest with you, I just don't have a heart for missions. And the missionary said, well, well man, we, we can fix that today. And he said, really? He said, yeah. He said, before you walk out the door of this church today, he said, I guarantee you, you can have a heart and a passion for missions. He said, okay, what do we need to do? He said, write me a $1,000 check. <laughs> and if you write a $1,000 check for missions, guess what? Before you leave this building today, you'll care about missions. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at that next point. Money is powerful. I love this point. Money is powerful because it can be exchanged for eternal treasure, eternal wealth, and eternal rewards. I've kind of known this, but I've never connected the dots like the Holy Spirit put this together in my heart this week. Money is powerful because it can be exchanged for eternal treasure, eternal wealth, and eternal reward. Financial wealth is a spiritual seed that has the potential to become an eternal reward. We just read Matthew 6. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust or, or anything thieves can destroy. So think about this for a second. Every dollar that passes through your hand, every penny that passes through your hand has the potential to be exchanged on earth 
for an eternal reward in heaven that will last forever. Think about that. Every scent that passes through your hand has the potential. So you can consume it on the lust of your flesh. Or you can invest it in the eternal treasures of heaven. And every dollar that runs through your hand has the potential to become an eternal reward that you can step into eternity and enjoy forever and ever and ever and ever. Jim Elliott was a missionary, I believe, to Ecuador. And he made a great statement. He said, no man is a fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. No man's a fool that does that. So think about this exchange. I want you to look with me in 1 Timothy 6. Paul teaches us how to make this exchange. How do I trade earthly wealth for eternal treasure? Let me just go ahead and table it with this thought. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't give enough money to enough God things, good things, churches, or any of those things to earn your way into heaven, right? We're not earning our salvation. It's been paid for through the blood of Jesus. And you don't have enough money to buy that. But we can lay up treasure just like Jesus commanded us. We can lay up treasure in heaven, which becomes an eternal reward that we get to enjoy forever and ever and ever. And Paul tells us how to do it. Look what he says, 1 Timothy 6. We read the first part of 1 Timothy 6 where he talked about the love of money. Now he goes on. Look what he says. Teach those who are rich in this world. So rich people are not bad people. They're godly people. Come on, somebody. They can be. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. They should trust. Their trust should be in God. Look at this. Who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So Paul says, hey, tell the rich people, praise God you're rich. I wish we had more rich people in the church, by the way. I pray for you to be blessed, if you don't know that. I pray financial favor and financial blessing. I pray that the works of your hands and the fruits of your labor would multiply. I pray that God would blow your mind with explosive growth in everything that you put your hand to. I pray for that regularly. Early on in ministry, I didn't pray about money. I thought I was being unspiritual, and then I got wise. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and now I pray for you. I pray for me too, by the way. So he says, if you're rich, don't be proud. Don't trust in your money. Put your confidence in God. Don't serve money. Serve God. Don't serve money. Serve God. Don't be led by greed. Be led by God. And then look what he said. I love that little phrase. They should not trust in the riches. They should, they should trust in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Again, I want to say it again. God wants you to enjoy your life. God wants you to have fun. God wants you to take a vacation. God wants you to live adventure. God wants you to do all that stuff that you enjoy doing. That's okay, but that just can't be all you do. Look what he says. Verse 18. He starts to give us a formula. Here it is. How do we, how do we exchange financial wealth for earthly treasure? He says, tell them to use their money to do good. And I already told you why I invest in the local church, because I believe it's the one organization that's doing more good than any other organization. I'm not saying don't invest in others. I'm just saying I believe that we ought to invest here first. Tell them to use their money to do good. 
Tell them that they should be rich in good works. So not only should they be giving, but they should be living a life of producing good works. He says, tell them to be generous to those who are in need. How many know God loves the poor? The Bible actually says, he who gives to the poor lends money to the Lord, and he will repay. Think about that. That's pretty awesome. I like helping missionaries in Africa and poor people in Arab. He who gives his money to the poor, guess what? He lends it to the Lord and God will repay. He says they should be rich in good works. They should be generous to those in need. They should always be ready to share with others. And look at verse 19. And by doing this, by doing what? By using their money for good. By being rich in good works. By being generous to those who are in need. By always being ready to share. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. The thought that my natural money can become an eternal treasure is awesome. Now, Luke 12, Jesus tells a parable, and he kind of drives home this concept of what we've been talking about. It says, then one from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who has made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to, and he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Don't be greedy. Don't be covetous. For one's life, this is an awesome statement, right? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty. I want you to stop right there for a second. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty. So here's a person that is rich, prosperous, and blessed. And God multiplies them. God multiplies them. Their field produces plenty. They're already rich. And now they have a plentiful harvest. Look at the next verse. In verse 17, and the rich man thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and bigger barns. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things be which you have prepared? And then Jesus takes that parable and connects it to me and you. Look at the next verse. And so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let me just say to you today, if all you have is earthly wealth, then you're broke. But if you have heavenly treasure, you're rich. Look at this last point. I want to just challenge us with this final thought. Have we been fooled? Have we been fooled into being fools? Like the man in the story, have we been fooled into being fools? God doesn't prosper us just so we can have more. The man was already rich. The man already had plenty. The man already had more to enjoy than he could probably ever enjoy. And instead of taking the excess that God gave him to give to others, 
He said, I'm just going to build a bigger house, a bigger barn, a nicer car, a newer gadget, a bigger thing, and more and more and more and more for me. God doesn't have anything against you being blessed beyond measure. But God does not just prosper us so we can have more. God prospers us so we can give more. Kelly and I have a goal. I don't know that I share this this service. Y'all looking like I didn't, so I'm going to say it again. Kelly and I have a financial goal. We started it three years ago. Our financial goal, one of our financial goals, is that before we die and go home to be with Jesus, that we're going to live on 10% of our income and we're going to give 90% of it away. And we have been strategically, instrumentally over the last three years, upping our giving, upping our giving just a little at a time, a little at a time, a little at a time. Because when I get to the end of my life, I want to give away 90% of everything that comes into my hands, and I want to live on 10%. I'm going to live well, by the way. So I got thinking about that one day, and I thought, well, Lord, if I'm going to continue to live like I'm living right now, I'm going to have to make a lot of money. He said, yeah, that's right. God's not upset with that. I believe I can live on 10% of my income and still live the quality of life that I'm living right now, and I can have 90% left over to give away. And that's what I'm working toward, Kelly and I. Why? Because God doesn't give us more just so we can have more. Nothing wrong with moving up. We're in a good place. Hey, we don't need a bigger house, a nicer house. we got an awesome house. Kelly wants to remodel every bit of it, though, by the way. <laughs> and we will do that. <laughs> Luke 6, 38. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put back into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The more we give to God, the more he gives to us. And you can't outgive him. And today I want to challenge us. Let's check our hearts. Money's not good or evil. Money can be and should be a God thing. I believe God blesses his people absolutely 100% from Genesis to Revelations. It is the message of the gospel. But money reveals our heart. I want to challenge you this week to check your heart. And when I say check your heart, I don't mean check your heart. I mean check your bank statement. And really ask yourself, where is my heart? And that's not to condemn you and that's not to judge you. It's to help you because I'm just going to tell you something. It, it helps us to get a good look at where we are. Brother Jim, our financial elder, he tells me all the time. He says, he says Pastor Keith, the numbers don't lie. I want to argue with him, but I can't. Because the numbers don't lie. So where's your heart? God wants our heart. And you know what the good news is? We already took up our offer and we're not collecting money. Okay, I'm not trying to get an offering. God's trying to get your heart. Okay, God wants your heart. Because the more you give to God, the more he gives back to you. The same measure you use is the same measure that he gives. If you want a bigger harvest, you've got to sow bigger seed. And it's pretty awesome when you think about it. Let's just bow our heads today. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you know what, Pastor Keith, you're talking about does God have my heart and you're talking about money and you're talking about this and you're talking about that. But the truth is, if you're not a Christian, God doesn't have your heart, period.
And it doesn't matter how much money you give, if Jesus is not Lord of your heart, God doesn't have your heart. And if you're here today and you realize, you know what, I've never really given my heart, which is really my life, to God. But today I want to do that. Today I want to give my heart and I want to give my life to Jesus Christ because I realize what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? If every dream you ever dreamed came true and you died and went to hell, it would mean nothing. There would be no comfort in hell knowing you had a big house and a nice car. But there is great comfort in heaven knowing that Jesus had my heart. So if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you say today, Pastor Keith, I want to give God my heart. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want you just to raise your hand in this room right now. Just a simple act of faith. I want to give Jesus my heart today. If you're watching online, you can hit that little hand emoji. You can type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand. We want to pray with you. We want to follow up with you. We want to help you take that next step. I want to give Jesus my heart today. Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody in the room, if you would say it with me, let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and my life and be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome to the family. Come on. Amen. Well, we love you guys. God bless you. If you ordered a Meals on Mission, you need to go through the cafe, and you can grab your meal on the way out. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.